Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi guys, welcome back to episode number 17 of the podcast and today I'm joined by Emma Lane and we're talking all about gut health, how that connects to our hormones and also the role of pathogens. Emma Lane is a naturopath, functional medicine practitioner and naturopathic nutritionist who has successfully spent 25 years of her career helping people achieve optimal health and well-being. She has studied extensively all around the world seeking to learn from the foremost authorities in different healing methodologies in both the complementary and allopathic fields such as parasitology, naturopathy, nutrition, vibrational medicine and mental emotional well-being. She's also well known for her extensive knowledge of gastrointestinal health as well as the world of parasites, fungus and bacteria which we're going to cover today. Emma now teaches other practitioners exclusively through her integrative health education and frequently travels both nationally and internationally presenting classes, lectures and courses. I've personally been to a couple of her seminars that I absolutely love. The first one was all about parasites and you can tell that she's such an expert in this field and it's her passion. Sounds a bit weird but I'm totally with her on this, they're just fascinating. And I also attended the Facial Tells of Disease which was absolutely amazing and such valuable information that I always use with clients. I definitely want Emma back on the podcast in the future to talk more about this. So it's about looking at the body and the face and there's different subtle clues that your body can give you in terms of your tongue diagnosis, your the lines on your face, the pains in your body can all indicate different imbalances and different maybe stored emotions that you have in the system. Yeah, so I want to back on in the future to talk more about emotions, these facial tells of dis-ease and also how the body stores emotions and kind of the spiritual effects of health as well. In this episode, we cover the importance of gut health, especially when it comes to our hormones, signs and symptoms that you may have a gut infection, how to actually test for parasites and pathogens, and the common nutrition, lifestyle, supplements, mistakes to avoid, when treating some of these gut infections and pathogenic organisms. Hi Emma, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today and taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us on the podcast. I want to start off by asking you how you got into the world of nutrition, naturopathic medicine, functional medicine, and particularly gut health and parasites. Okay, thank you very much for having me on your podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, crikey, right. Um, let's jump straight in. 
In regards to myself, I was very, very active when I was younger and did a lot of sports and my introduction into the world of health was pretty much through fitness and very quickly it became obvious that um, it wasn't just about exercise in regards to being healthy. Um, so I started looking into the world of nutrition and food and things like that at that point in time. And that kind of just led me down a path um, where I was utilizing, if you like, both sides at this that time, which was the nutrition side and the health fitness side, um, which was quite unusual then because we're talking way back in the 80s. Um, so revealing my age now. <laughs> <laughs> you don't um, look it. I'll put that disclaimer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, appreciate that. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was more of um, kind of an interest in regards to how the two areas linked. And then I had some interesting health challenges myself, which ultimately made me dive more deeply um, into, let's say, alternative approaches. So um, that's when I started. Uh, ultimately, I qualify as a. a nutritionist way way back in the day which is very different in the 80s to what it is now let me tell you clinical nutrition um and as i developed certain health challenges um and started looking deeper that led me as i say more into the alternative approaches and i started seeking out advice and help and knowledge from um naturopaths and various other what we'd call today complementary practices um and that's kind of how i ended up getting interested because i discovered that i did have adrenal problems i discovered that i did have digestive issues um so i found out that i had something like i think it was four parasites the first time around um i because of various car accidents and things um i'd got serious i had some spinal injuries and brain injuries and things so a lot of inflammation was involved um so all that had to be managed and dealt with etc so there's a lot of different things happening um that ultimately when you're trying to resolve those things and you're trying to understand them in yourself you look at all possible <laughs> areas of informa information that can help you and that's kind of what I've kept doing um, because I find you know the area that I'm working which is pretty much health and well-being absolutely fascinating and things are constantly changing and we're getting constant new information so it's I'm constantly learning and moving forward um, so that I can continue to help people and also you know live a, a life that is healthy for myself pretty much. Yep. Great. I think that was a lot more long-winded than you wanted. No, so. no, perfect. <laughs> and you definitely have many different um, tools in your toolkit. You're into energy healing, um, fitness. So you've got all of these different approaches. And I've been to a few of your seminars and your training events, and your information is absolutely amazing. I think it's quite different to a lot of other practitioners in the mm -hmm. fact that you do look at the mind body spirit aspect too that's really important so would you say that your your gut health problems were the reason that you got specifically into parasites what made you so kind of obsessed of with gut health and um helping people with parasites bacteria yeast those types of problems um hmm. 
I think I just found them absolutely fascinating. I just, um, in regards to parasites, because there's um, so many different ones um, and they can affect it in so many different ways, I think literally it was just the level of um, difference between them and how they can affect us. So I think I was just fascinated by it um, at the time. And with that, because they can affect us in so many different ways, the symptoms that people get are so different. It's, there's like a myriad from right from the obvious things like abdominal pain and bloating to things which you wouldn't think might associate with them such as you know affecting memory loss um obviously affecting things like the immune system but things like facial swelling and insomnia and joint pain and chronic fatigue chest pain central nervous system impairment uh, so you, you you've got such a wide array of how they can affect us in regards to symptoms that it's it became like a bit of a game it was more like being a detective, kind of finding out. And then once you get into the world of parasites, you then realize that, whoa, bacteria is a far bigger area and bacteria is super, super interesting as well. And then obviously you've got fungus and environmental molds. Um, you've got different bacteria, not just in you know, you, your intestines, but you've got the bacteria that's um, you know, from Lyme and Bartonella, Borrelia. So, and then you've got viruses. So pathogens just became this fascinating whole different world to me. Um, that I just wanted to know more and more about. So, and how do, how do these pathogens that a lot of the time reside in our gut, how do they cause the mental health problems and the, the systemic symptoms if they're located in the gut? Don't they just cause digestive issues, bloating? No, because of... Um, there's quite a few reasons why the effect is in different ways and different parasites will have different effects. So um, as an example, toxoplasma is a um, tiny, tiny um, parasite, uh, protozoa, and that can have a myriad of negative, negative effects basically within a, a person mentally and emotionally, but it's quite hard to identify um, once it's in there. So initially people will be aware of toxoplasmosis because it gets checked for if somebody's pregnant um, because that can cause severe inflammation on the brain within the child. But post that, i.e. if they're not pregnant and somebody picks it up, it causes quite profound um, or can cause quite profound mental and emotional issues for a, a person over time. But can be quite hard to test for and then there's other um, mechanisms within the parasites where they obviously release their own byproducts and those byproducts can be quite neurotoxic so again that's why you can get different uh, symptoms manifesting around the body so not just mental and emotional but things um, with those byproducts uh, they will cause an inflammatory response in the body so it could affect somebody in the joints um, so they could feel like they've got some kind of inflammatory arthritis kind of thing going on. So it's with the with parasites, they will hang out in numerous different areas in the body. So yes, predominantly they're known um, for the being a problem in the intestines, in the digestive tract. But pretty much you can get parasites that'll hang out in the eyes, in the brain, muscle, joint tissue, different organs in the body. So not just the intestines, but 
like in the, the kidneys, um, liver, etc. You can have some that go into the heart, the lungs. Actually, quite a few use the lungs as a kind of passageway to get to the areas that they want. You, basically, you can get a lot of different symptoms from parasites, and that often relates into what kind of parasite you've got as well. And how would we know what what type of parasite we've got? Is there a particular testing that you'd like? Or if we are experiencing some of these symptoms, like the bloating, constipation, and we develop this after something like food poisoning, can we just assume that we've got parasites and just treat that naturally anyway? Or is that dangerous? Yeah, you can never assume anything because there's a lot of crossover in regards to symptoms that you would experience with different parasites, whether it's a bacterial, um, whether it's a fungal aspect. So it is always better to test. Um, so one of my companies is uh, parasitetesting.co.uk. So it's a, we're the European, European distributors for uh, a lab in America called PCI. And uh, they're, the they're the only specialist lab in the world in regards to parasites. So we have different tests in regards to different areas. So if you are having digestive problems, for example, um, you'd be looking at doing probably a stool test, um, which would look for a myriad of different parasites. Um, it would look at different fungi, bacteria, etc. So you'd have an idea of what it is you've got. So therefore you could treat it more appropriately and specifically. With, there's blood tests, so you can do a blood smear test in regards to um, if you might have been bitten by something. We have a urine test, so if you've got um, anything that's showing up in regards to the urinary tract, so um, bladder infections, etc., because there are quite a few parasites that will hang out in the bladder. So there's, there's different tests for different areas, if you like. Um, some ones are a lot harder to test for, or some parasites are a lot harder to test for than others. But in general, you know, a lot of people are going to be more aware of like the digestive things, unless they have been on holiday and been bitten quite a lot by something. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, the, your common signs to be watchful for in regards to your parasite side of things is, you know, bloating, belching, uh, burning sensation, flatulence, and increasing gas. Um, changes in your bowel movements, whether it's changes, i.e. you're getting more loose stools, more towards diarrhea, whether it's getting more constipated, things like undigested stool, uh, sorry, undigested food in your stool, bowel smelling stools. Um, if you start seeing things like, um, or you start experiencing some mineral deficiencies like iron and zinc, that's a common indicator for parasites. If you suddenly um, start becoming more reactive to food, so getting more food sensitivities, you know, stroke intolerances, weak peeling, uh, cracked ridged fingernails, because that's showing that there's problems within the digestion. So if it is a parasite that's causing that or a bacterial overgrowth, etc., um, you know, like fat soluble vitamin deficiencies, those kind of things. Um, so you get in that, you know, your chicken skin on the upper arms and the thighs, or if you're more prone to getting things like dandruff or dry brittle hair dry skin um, because obviously that's showing you that there's a fatty acid deficiency and with quite a few of the parasites that can that can be how it can affect you know but obviously there's other things that can affect your digestion stress being a major one in regards to um that area so yeah there's you know there's a lot of things to be aware of in regards to how 
parasites, well, pathogens in general can affect. And what about yeast? Does that display similar symptoms or are there some maybe differentiating indicators that may show that you have a yeast overgrowth or a fungus overgrowth? We are supposed to have yeast within our digestive tract. Okay, so what happens is that the environment changes, so therefore that creates the opportunity for the yeast to then turn itself into a more problematic form, um, which is where it basically de develops rhizoids, so roots, and that's what you would probably recognize as like a candida or a geotrichum. Um, so we are supposed to have yeast, but you can get yeast overgrowth, obviously, but it's, we tend to have more problems when the yeast uh, changes its form because ultimately, you know, there's with candida, for example, there's over 150 strains of which around about 10 can cause problems within humans with any kind of frequency. And when candida is in its yeast form, it's actually it's beneficial. And we all have this form of candida in our bodies, uh, that yeast form. And when the population is in the, the normal levels, you don't get any symptoms um, and the friendly bacteria and a healthy immune system will prevent that from becoming a problem. But the, our problems lie when it comes to pathogens in not having a good level of health and well-being. So it's when, when we lose our proper immune, immune protection, when in regards to the yeast transferring into a candida, for example, it's when that intestinal pH is altered or it's unfavorable um, or favorable actually to the candida changing from a yeast form into its fungal form that's when you get the kind of the you know the overgrowth if you like in regards to digestive symptoms so things like changes in your bowel movements again so, so as i said there's a lot of crossover bloating is quite a common one um but oftentimes what you can get is um also because of the kind of mycotoxins that they produce, so the byproducts with the fungus, you can oftentimes get what we call a foggy brain, so an inability to concentrate, your cognition is not very good. Um, things like bad breath, um, nervous irritability, because again, they affect the nervous system. Things like craving sugar, but again, that crosses over with certain parasites. Um, feeling irritable a lot more, um, getting more mood swings, um, being more prone to thrush, vaginal thrush or oral thrush. There's a lot of crossover, um, but generally, yes, it's more digestive kind of challenges that you will start to see with that. Mm -hmm. And I love, I remember at one of your um, training days, you spoke about the vitality scale. So when we're after 10, we're feeling really good, our immune system's strong, then we all have some of these candida and bacteria within us. It's normal and they live in symbiosis. But when our vitality levels start to drop, then these opportunistic pathogens can kind of take hold and cause problems. Yeah. Why do you think that, why is it so common that we're experiencing these then? What are the drivers or triggers of this low vitality? Is it just diet or is there other factors too? Uh, there's a lot of factors. <laughs> I would say the most common one which people can actually manage better is stress. That is a very big player because when you are stressed, obviously that's going to have an effect in regards to the nervous system and your hormonal system. So different secretions of hormones will be affected. So like your cortisol levels will go up. and <laughs> Oftentimes people just think of stress as it being 
like emotional stress you um too uh got too much work on um you in a you know you're in a relationship that's quite stressful or you're forever sat in traffic the trains are late that kind of stress but ultimately stress is a specific response by the body to a stimulus and that could be fear or pain however it could be what we'd call normal stress i.e just daily living kind of thing emotional stresses nutritional stresses chemical psychological hormonal stresses because your body responds identically to any of these stresses because it can't distinguish the difference between them so it's it's kind of like good stress as in you stress which is mild to moderate stress that can act as a motivator and energizer or it can be you know a high level of stress what we call distress that will result in a medical or a social problem but your body doesn't separate all of these out so you know getting married is a nice event but can be very stressful um having a, a horrible boss that you work for is also stressful but your body doesn't differentiate between them so that's it's the problem today is that we have these inbuilt stress responses that turn acute stress i.e something that you know is could threaten our survival we have a high level of reaction but then we have a quick recovery because we've dealt with it and it's gone whereas today we've got something called chronic stress which is low levels of stress constantly which is what undermines your immune system which then obviously opens you up more to the threat of pathogens for example uh, dysbiosis um, overall you know picking up issues that you then have to deal with so stress is a big player and from the point of view of digestion if you are too stressed i.e too sympathetically loaded when you are sympathetic dominant in your autonomic nervous system that shuts off your digestion so if you are not present when you are eating your food let's say so you're at work you are behind on what you need to do so you are then going oh i'll work through my lunch hour so i'll just keep you know on the computer answering the phones while i'm eating you are not actually creating the optimal experience for digestion um with that because it's ultimately you need to create something called the cephalic response so which is you know turning on your ability to actually produce the appropriate enzymes to produce all the different um, secretions etc uh, so that you turn on your peristaltic action so the food can move through so you, with your cephalic response what that actually means is when you smell food when you see food when you think about the food that you're going to eat, that stimulates a response from your brain, from your cerebral cortex, to send a message to your hypothalamus and then to med medulla oblongata, which, sorry, sounds all very complicated. <laughs> it's a sequence of signals that are sent, and that tells your parasympathetic nervous system via your vagus nerve to tell all those glands and organs and things to start producing the appropriate secretions into the stomach and it sends further information via your hormonal and nervous system which will create this ongoing effect in your digestive system um, so you create the optimal cephalic response i.e your optimal ability to digest and it's actually estimated that as much as 30 to 40 percent of the total digestive response to any meal is due to the cephalic phase so 
if you aren't paying attention to your food before you begin to eat, if you're not fully aware of what and when you're eating, pretty much it stands to reason that you are not going to provoke the full beneficial digestive responses, which then means that you're not going to be absorbing your nutrients from that food very effectively. And with that, what will happen there is, you know, from a hormonal point of view, this is where you can get issues with low levels of certain minerals, certain um, vitamins that won't then support you. So things like um, common PMS symptoms that people will experience is, you know, that premenstrual fluid retention or the nausea, apathy, um, tiredness, muscle cramps, very common, mood swings, chocolate craving. And that's their indications of low magnesium. So all of those symptoms that I've just mentioned are associated with low levels of magnesium. Okay. Things that um, also actually magnesium is associated with feeling down, um, depression during the period. So these things, you know, when it comes to a hormonal consequence, when you are too stressed and you're not digesting properly, i.e. you're not creating the best digestive performance for yourself, there's more likelihood that you're not going to be able, you're not going to be absorbing certain nutrients. With regards to nutrients, there's certain areas within the small intestines where specific minerals, nutrients, etc., are absorbed. And your minerals, um, such as your magnesium, are very important in regards to hormonal um, balance and zinc and iron, etc. But B vitamins are incredibly important. And when you're stressed, you use up a lot of B6, you use up a lot of magnesium, for example. So with B6, which you absorb in the first part of your small intestines, your duodenum, uh, along with the other uh, B vitamins, that's associated with an excess of estrogen in relation to progesterone. So if you haven't got enough B6, that can show up in an inability to clear the estrogen from your hepatic, so from your liver. Okay. So you want to make sure if you are experiencing excess estrogen symptoms that you know your levels of vitamin B are sufficient because that helps the B6 it helps improve that hepatic clearance of estrogen so that you don't get the imbalance in regards to the relationship between estrogens and progesterones. And also breast tenderness is associated as well um, with the like liver needing more help. So if it is congested, um, so if the liver is failing to inactivate the estrogen uh, because of that deficiency of B vitamins, you one of the signs that you might get with that is breast tenderness um, coming up to your menstrual cycle. So, and again, actually, just to mention another one, because a lot of these nutrients are supposed to be absorbed in the first part of the small intestine, the duodenum, and vitamin A, and your fat-soluble vitamins are really important, uh, because again, a vitamin A deficiency is associated with increased estrogen levels. Um, so again, it affects that balance between the estrogen and the progesterone levels. Um, and also, your essential fatty acids in general are associated with many of your PMS symptoms. So, irritability, fluid retention, again, fatigue, heavy periods, headaches. So, you know, your digestion has a phenomenal effect on hormonal irregularities. And it's something that you can easily do through, you know, being present with your food, eating in a calm, quiet environment, chewing each mouthful of food to liquid, not having a lot of fluid when you're eating so that you allow the nutrients to get in there. 
um, and in, you know improving your overall absorption of these nutrients from eating good quality foods obviously avoiding your processed foods your foods that aren't very nutrient dense let's say you know the fast foods the highly processed foods sorry again i really witted on no, that no i love it <laughs> I do want to um, continue on the hormonal picture. When you've covered P PMS, have you noticed any links between gut health and the thyroid and also gut health and the metabolic kind of PCOS picture too? Right, with thyroid, um, again, this comes back to stress. A lot of this comes back to people managing the stress levels. Because um, the adrenals, which are in charge, if you like, of a lot of the stress hormones um, and the production of obviously repair hormones and sex hormones as well. But ultimately, there is a hierarchy where the stress hormones are the most important in regards to your survival. So that means that there's a knock-on effect um, in regards to the amount of repair hormones that you can produce. And then last and of least, in regards to survival are your stress hormones so if you are overly stressed all the time you are not going to meet the what is needed to meet the production of those other hormones so if you're very stressed there's less of what we call the mother hormones etc to then produce your repair hormones and then last and least as i said is your sex hormones so with that your adrenals can get quite tired when you are chronically stressed and that affects their output and your thyroid is kind of a secondary effector to your adrenals so if you think of it this way this is the simplest analogy i can come up with if you are stressed your body sees that as you are running constantly from a saber-toothed tiger and it needs to kind of slow down the turnover of tissue and cells because you, you're basically using up too many resources too quickly. And your thyroid is what controls your metabolism um, and helps with that energy output um, as well. So what happens is you, your thyroid's almost like your brakes. If you're spinning too quickly, i.e. you're using up your gas too much, which is your adrenals, it puts on the brake. So it starts to create a secondary thyroid effect um, so obviously there are nutrient effectors with the thyroid as well. So again, if you're not absorbing appropriate levels of selenium, um, you need selenium for the conversion, um, from your inactive form T4 into your T3, your active form. Um, iodine comes into it, um, iron, vitamin C. So again, with thyroid issues, definitely, um, how well you are digesting and absorbing those nutrients from the foods that you're eating is very important but if you're stressed you will have a problem actually digesting and absorbing those nutrients which will then have a knock-on effect and if there is things like parasites um, causing problems then again yes that's just going to add to the problem so a common issue that we're hearing a lot about now in the public which is good is SIBO or SIBO depends how you want to pronounce it um, which is a bacterial um, problem in the small intestines. It's not that it's necessarily pathogenic bacteria. It's bacteria that's moved somewhere it basically shouldn't be. There's a lot of um, underlying drivers that you have to look at with SIBO. Um, but, you know, similar symptoms again with things like 
you know, common ones are bloating, belching, flatulence, pain, discomfort, changes in bowel movements, etc. Um, but with SIBO, again, it's going to have an effect on your absorption because it's in the small intestine. So one of the um, challenges with SIBO, for example, is that things like your B12 levels are affected, your iron. Um, again, you've got general vitamin mineral malabsorption. Um, again, it will affect in regards to your, your essential fatty acid absorption, your fatty um, vitamins, um, so like your ADE, etc. Um, so when you have something that's actually causing problems in your digestive tract that shouldn't be there, that can um, add more problems into issues like hormonal sides because it's your body's not able to get the nutrients it needs to process it so stress primarily opens you up to reduced immune immune system that opens you up then more likely to actually picking up a pathogen in your digestive tract which then obviously leads to a myriad of different problems and you've got lifestyle factors that clearly come into this so you mentioned um, pcos with that yes you know you've got to look at weight management you've got to look at exercise you've got to look at managing the androgens etc so there's you know there's a multiple (laughs) of things that you have to be aware of and deal with because most people don't just get one problem they have symptoms that are being communicated by the body that is expressing that it's not happy in different areas of the body Um, so we are we're cybernetic systems we're a system of systems and all those systems talk to each other Um, And once the digestive system starts to be affected, you'll have a lot of knock-on effects into other systems, which will obviously then lead to, it could be hormonal problems. Um, It could be just purely digestive. Um, It could be neurological. Um, You could develop um, more um, metabolic issues. You could develop more mitochondrial problems, detox issues. So it's, you know, it's quite a challenging area and you just have to kind of rule things in, rule things out to actually identify what is the problem. But just to put my point forward clearly is that stress is one of the biggest drivers that people do not manage well and stress will affect things like blood sugar as well, which is a big problem in regards to PCOS if they haven't got balanced blood sugar. Um, and obviously with hormonal issues in general, uh, blood sugar management's a massive component of that as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure whether I just answered your question or not. Yeah, you definitely did. So we'll say that it's the stress, the nutrient deficiencies and the inflammation caused by gut problems that can lead to so many hormone problems. Yes, most cool. definitely. And oftentimes the hormonal problems are kind of the expression down the line. They're not oftentimes the first ones to be expressed. Yeah. Yeah. Hormones are like the followers. They'll just kind of go along with the other systems. The When the thyroid's out of whack or the adrenals or the gut, the yeah. hormones kind of just go along. They're not usually the first thing that kind of falls down. I agree with that one. Mm. And are there any common mistakes that you see people making when they're trying to address their gut health problems so when people have reoccurring parasites or reoccurring SIBO are there any common mistakes that you see people making all the time um with parasites 
they tend not to identify what parasites they've got and just do this kind of broad approach which you know parasites are very clever that you know they've been around for thousands of years because they adapt um so a lot of you know these broad approaches of taking you know a bit of black walnut or um wormwood um etc it doesn't actually do anything to get rid of them and it's not just actually a lot of people just want to take something to kill something off and generally you can't just kill something because when you start to kill something it's going to put more load on your body because they themselves will produce more byproducts um, if you're taking something that means that your body's got to work harder to actually deal with the byproducts of that so your, your detox system your immune system your lymphatic system you know you have your body's got to work harder and as we've already mentioned if somebody's picking up pathogens, what that is, or what that should be telling a person is, their overall level of vitality and well-being has already dropped down because they couldn't defend themselves against picking up these things. So what they need to do is to actually increase their level of well-being and vitality by identifying where those challenges are in their lifestyle, whether it is a poor diet, whether it's they're not getting enough sleep, whether they are too toxic, so they're using toxic body care products, or they're spending a lot of time around electromagnetic equipment like computers and phones. Um, do are they in a, a challenging relationship so that you know they're, they're constantly stressed so it's looking at all the factors that have contributed to creating the potential for them to pick up this pathogen whatever it may be so that they actually help support the body build the resources so that when they actually go after dealing with the parasite or the SIBO, et cetera, that the body has the resources to do that because there will be a lot of heightened physiological load on their systems when they start killing something. And with SIBO, one of the common, common, common mistakes that I see in regards to SIBO is that they don't actually identify what the underlying causes are and the drivers. So as I said earlier, SIBO is just, bacteria that's hanging out somewhere it shouldn't your question should be why is the bacteria hanging out there what allowed it to move somewhere it shouldn't so you know is there a, a functional problem um, a structural problem in the gut have they had um, brain injuries because brain injuries will affect the vagal tone and your vagus nerve is what um, oversees your digestive function from a nervous system point of view it's your enteric nervous system so you know it, have they got have they had surgery have they had a cesarean section um so that the scar tissue adhesions um any kind of abdominal surgery um even accidents so if they've fallen off a horse or a bike you know right back when they were a young age and landed over a wall or something that's caused you know damage within the intestinal tract but or the intestines should i say that then created a um an under functioning system is it that the ileocecal valve isn't functioning properly or the pyloric valve, which is very common with SIBO? So this, you know, and then you've got to look at obviously, you know, if there are lifestyle factors, diseases, like, you know, if there's been any kind, if there's any genetic factors as well that comes into that. Um, is it that they are eating out and they're eating at a place where they regularly get some food poisoning? So th there's lots of things that you've got to consider with SIBO. It's not just taking a protocol that 
so supposedly causes the bacteria to be killed off because if you have got an underlying factor that is making you prone, you'll just relapse again. And this is what a lot of people, they, they think that they can never get rid of a SIBO infection. But what generally happening is, is yeah, they're getting the levels down, but then they're relapsing because they haven't addressed the underlying factor. So they might not have been using a prokinetic. They might not have been increasing the vagal tone. They might not have been working on meal spacing, eating an appropriate diet that's supportive of you, but not the SIBO. So, that, you know, there's lots of things to take into consideration. Um, unfortunately, oftentimes when it comes to pathogens, the main thought process is kill it um, without actually con taking into consideration what they should be doing to support themselves and the physiology and their overall health and well-being um, before actually just, you know, as I say, going after something and killing it. Yeah, I see that too all the time. And that's more of the Western approach, isn't it, to just kill, kill, kill take a yeah. tablet, get rid of something without seeing it as a message from your body. There's a reason why you're struggling with the symptoms and you need to find out why that is. Otherwise, yeah. it's just going to keep coming back or it's going to turn into something else far more serious in the future. Yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, I see it with a lot of practitioners, if I'm honest as well, um, where the underlying um, causes aren't looked for um, it's it's definitely getting better in the last few years but yeah you know if you went back 10 years ago when I you know I've taught this approach for probably 15 years now <laughs> seriously people used to look at me like I was a looney tune um, by saying oh no you know you don't want to kill it first you need to build up uh, the resources the vitality the well-being you need to be supporting their physiological function and supporting that person also mentally emotionally and spiritually it's not just the physical we're made up of different components so you have to look at what is causing somebody emotional load or mental load um, and support them with that as well you know it's you're dealing with the whole person or that's how i feel um my patients and clients should be dealt with like how they should be dealt with because it's you know, you, you are working with an individual who's had very different experiences to anybody else and how they've responded to those experiences will be different. You've got to look at what is causing them ongoing stress um, and help them identify tools and ways of managing that and, you know, letting emotional behavior responses that are no longer serving them, patterning that's no longer serving them, etc. So do you focus on opening the detox pathways, supporting the adrenals, cleaning up the lifestyle before you even touch the parasites and the pathogens? Yeah. It's, or would you do it simultaneously? Yeah, it depends what's going on in the individual and how long it's been going on and how they're reactive they are. So I don't have a set approach. It's very bespoke what I do in regards to that individual. But yes, in general, it would be making sure that the toxins are less. So it might be using binders initially to reduce the overall level of toxins. It would definitely be looking at um, if they do need more detox support so you know supporting phase two so that they can remove the toxins because a lot of time people upregulate phase one and increase the metabolites and the problems rather than looking at phase two first um and yeah definitely lifestyle changes i always start with the what i feel is the simplest and the easiest things for people to put into place frequently food is a problem um so whether it's the quality of it or the 
the actual ratios of it, I work using something called metabolic typing, which is biochemical individuality. So identify specifically what that person needs. Um, so in regards to proteins, fats, carbohydrates specifically, um, what ratios and what types, so the different purines, etc. Um, because generally most people aren't fueling themselves at a cellular level, so they're putting in the wrong fuel mix. So it's kind of like um, going to the petrol station and you're driving a petrol car and you put diesel in because you make a mistake at the pump. There's nothing wrong with the fuel, there's nothing wrong with the diesel, but that engine doesn't run on that fuel. So if it's the same thing with foods. If people aren't giving themselves the right mix of nutrients, i.e. macronutrients, proteins, fats, carbs, that for them at a cellular level, it's not what their mitochondria runs on, then they're not going to have very good sustained energy. They're not going to have very good um, resources to draw on to actually heal. So it's, it's always very important to identify um, the biochemical uh, individuality of that person to support what it is they specifically need so food yet yeah, very important sleep's another common big issue because obviously the majority of your repair happens during the night so between 10 and 2 o'clock at night your physical repair predominantly happens and um, between 2 and 6 o'clock in the morning that's your psychological repair time um, and people don't generally see the importance of sleep um, and if they are having problems with the health you you need a fully functioning immune system to address and help you deal with those health issues and parasites are more active during the night aren't they so do you yeah. see people struggling with the symptoms um late at night or in the middle of the night too yeah there, there's definitely parasites definitely are more or some parasites are definitely more active at night. Um, as a, you know, pathogens in general can be. Um, so yeah, you, it can definitely cause disturbances of sleep. We're seeing a massive problem with pinworm at the minute. Um, it kind of comes around in cycles. And pinworms are a relatively easy parasite to deal with, i.e. to get rid of um, from the body, but from the environment, not so much. So pinworm... Literally, the female crawls out of the inner area at night, and generally in the early hours of the morning, so between kind of one and three, four o'clock in the morning, and lays eggs. And that can obviously cause a lot of itching and irritation for the person where that worm is kind of crawling along and laying these eggs. Uh, so that can obviously disturb sleep. Um, and um, with that, it then crawls back in. Sometimes it goes in the wrong orifice on in females which can cause even more problems um but with that the the eggs that they lay are very very light so light that they can float and what will happen is they'll float and attach onto material whether it's curtains cushions bedding towels carpet etc and an egg a pinworm egg can infect you up to 10 days after it's been laid so it's very important that um, in order to get rid of it, that you are aware of the environment, i.e. you are vacuuming all surfaces, 
whether it's material carpets, curtains, etc., your boil washing, towels, you're making sure that they're wearing knickers that have got good seals around um, the legs and you know the top of them so that the eggs can't escape and that you take them off first thing in the morning, put them into a plastic bag that you hold closed, take them down to the washing machine and wash them because otherwise the eggs obviously can float and attach onto different surfaces of which then if you come back in contact with, you can reinfect yourself. Mm. So, but definitely, you know, there's, I mentioned that one because we have tons of people testing positive for pinworm at the minute. There definitely seems to be a bit of a, a rise in its activity. Um, but as I say, it's quite easy to actually get rid of from the body. The problem is, is not getting reinfected, especially in an, an environment where maybe several people in that household have picked it up. And if they're treating if they're getting treated and at different times and they're not dealing with the environment, then they can just get reinfected. And what's the biggest source of pinworm? Is it just transfer from different people or is it from foods? Well, no, it's, it's more if, well, for a root, if you like, it's more the fecal oral root. Um, and the fact that the eggs can attach onto surfaces, so you can just basically inhale them. You know, <laughs> so it's, you know, if they're on, if they're on something that you, let's say that, so, uh, somebody that hasn't got very good personal hygiene has been to the toilet, not washed their hands, and then they prepared some food like a salad. And within that, there is some larvae or some eggs from a parasite. And then you eat that. Um, you know, that's obviously then got into your system. And if your immune defenses aren't appropriate, um, it gives it the opportunity then to hang around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's parasites in general, they're very opportunistic. Yeah. And apologies to anyone who's listening who may be eating the lunch right now. <laughs> I've just put a few people off the, the meals, but it's important yeah. information. <laughs> and yeah, speaking... I, think, I forget that people can be squeamish, if I'm honest, about yeah, parasites. you're used to it, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. so... And speaking of diets as well, just as we're wrapping up now, what are your thoughts on things like the anti-candida diet and extremely low carb diets for people who are trying to overcome their digestive issues, are they helpful or do you see them causing more problems? It depends on the individual and what they've got going on. Um, everything can serve a purpose if it's used appropriately. Um, so with SIBO, for example, you, yes, you definitely, if you want to manage the symptoms while you are addressing um, what's going on with that individual, um, so that they're not having as much uh, bloating and flatulence and pain, etc. Then, yeah, you don't want to be feeding the bacteria um, lots of fibrous carbohydrates and sugar, um, because you know the job of the bacteria is to break down fiber and sugar to produce gas, um, and that's why it can be very uncomfortable for people if they've got high levels of methane or hydrogen or both being produced when they eat certain kinds of foods. Um, so, you know, long term, not great to have a restrictive diet in any form um, because you're going to be affecting nutrient uptake. Um, but you do have to use different approaches to address different problems. So with an antifungal diet, for example, you might need to do a strict antifungal diet for a month, but you definitely wouldn't want to be doing it longer than that. So you want, you know, a semi-restricted diet where the, the person themselves are getting the degree of nutrition that they need to support their function, their physiological function, but not eating silly foods such as um, chocolate bars and biscuits and cakes and things that are super high in sugar that are just going to feed um, the yeast, the fungus overgrowth and make the symptoms worse. Mm. So you 
definitely have to be considerate of what it is the person is experiencing, i.e. what what it is they've got, what the symptoms they have, and then you have to make an appropriate decision on how you're going to address that. Um, so, you know, every as I said, everything serves a purpose when it's utilised appropriately. Yeah, and the fungus and the yeast, if they're restricted from sugars, they can just find another fuel source, can't they? And it's just yourself that you're causing nutrient deficiencies and low vitality, making your immune system worse so that you can't actually fight the infection and eliminate it long term. Exactly. Yeah, these guys are all about surviving. So if you suddenly restrict their food source, they'll just see that as a threat and embed themselves in and wait until there's some more food coming through. Yeah. So. They, you know, you might feel better for a while because they're not as active and they're not producing as many byproducts. But ultimately, once you then go, oh, it's all right, I've sorted it, I'll go back to eating normally and start bringing more foods in that they like, they'll just go, oh, it's okay now, there's a food source, let's go back out and play mm. kind of thing. So this is why I tend not to use super restricted diets with anybody because you kind of got to use the carrot on the stick approach in the, there's enough for them to go, oh, food source, fine. You're feeding the individual, but you're not feeding the pathogens to the point where they're getting stronger. There's a little bit to keep them tempted, but ultimately you you use the diets um, oftentimes so that they're not getting what will strengthen them so they get weaker so that then when you actually do go to kill them they're easier to deal with and get rid of mm-hmm. yeah i love that analogy the carrot on the stick analogy i'll definitely be using that one it's a great way to put it yeah and i want to kind of finish up with a few questions about you personally so more insight into your daily life and how you stay healthy so Not that interesting oh <laughs> <laughs> we like to know the boring stuff like what you what's your go-to breakfast Oh God, I don't really have a go-to breakfast. I can, I can, if I just give you examples of breakfast I've had this week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, I, I use, as I said earlier, I go by uh, listening to the communication from my body in regards to what it is I want at that point. I'm very attuned to what is going to serve me in regards to energy, um, cognition, etc., feeling uplifted, emotional balance, etc., um, I am a protein type, so some of these breakfasts will probably sound a bit strange to most people, um, but I do very, very well on higher levels of protein um, versus carbohydrates, so proteins and fats to carbohydrates. So I will frequently have things like steak for breakfast with, it might be like a mixed salad, a rocket, peppers, tomatoes kind of thing. I'll have things like mackerel and anchovy in a salad. I'll have... Um, Poussin, for example, with roast parsnips and sweet potatoes, because I can put that in a lot of these ones that I eat, it's because I can put them in the oven and leave them to cook while I go and train Mm. in the gym. Um, So like pork chops, carrots, I'll have bacon and lamb's kidney with um, vegetables. So pretty much it's generally some form of protein, uh, meat, a fish with vegetables above what I call above and below ground. So some more starchy vegetables like your parsnips, your sweet potatoes, with some above ground like rocket, tomatoes, peppers, carrots, etc. All those meals sound absolutely delicious. That's my type of meal for definite. And just to quickly touch on it while we're talking about protein and the metabolic typing that you spoke about, are there some people who you see do well with a vegan diet? So 
low protein, low animal protein in general? Or what are your thoughts on veganism? Yeah, if their hereditary and genetic background is from more of a warmer country, so like India, um, Central Australia, etc., where the food that was available um, over the generations of their ancestors, um, our bodies biochemically adjust to the foods that, ava- that is available. And um, we're very, we're, we're not different to our ancestors 50,000 years ago. Um, so what's been shown is that the human genome takes 100,000 years to change one-tenth of 1%. So we are basically, as I was saying, no different to our ancestors. So the people that tend to do better on the vegan diets, i.e. high-carb diets, um, are the ones where their ancestors um, you know, survived in regards to what those kind of foods were available. So where it was more plant-based, etc. Um, so as I say, generally it's hotter climates where they don't have seasonal changes. But where we have seasonal changes, ultimately, you wouldn't have a lot of um, carbohydrate-based foods growing in the winter months, for example. So we were more hunter-gatherers in that it was the food that was available. So it would have all year round, sorry, food that was available all year round. So it would have been more meat-based. So in Europe, where obviously we get a lot of seasonal changes, um, we do tend to see that um many people do better on a diet that does have good sources of protein in it um but obviously we're very mixed now in regards to where we live and (laughs) where we've come from and our you know our background etc you know we there's lots of people from different countries that have married and had kids so therefore um different mixes of biochemistry etc so yes there are definitely people that will do well on vegan diets um but if somebody has poor health the one thing i will say is if their health is not good and they have been eating as a vegan or a vegetarian then oftentimes it's the lack of protein in the diet that can lead to a lot of those health problems not always but i do see that frequently me too yeah that's really good advice and also vegetarians and vegans um uh, I, we see a lot of parasite and fungal problems in them as well and For i do what can't tell you why no. all right okay <laughs> yeah we just yeah. see that my my opinion would be that they're not giving their body what it needs to repair tissue very well and to support the immune system because you do need fats and proteins um to support the production of hormones and to support the immune system etc so i i just think it's the it's uh, poor vitality overall which has um opened them up to picking up the pathogens more easily yeah it does make sense and like the micronutrient deficiencies needed for immunity um then it all kind of makes sense yeah second question is what's your favorite herb nutrient or supplement so if you were stranded on a desert island what's the one thing that you'd need with you okay this this is um i have i am hypermobile, (laughs) which basically means i'm a bit too bendy um so i need to have a lot of support for my ligaments and tendons and tissues and things um so one of the products i will probably take with me is something that i do use every day which is um something called collagen complete and the reason um there's several reasons i'll be honest while i why i would use that one um 
is because it's fantastic as an anti-aging product as well because of the different types of collagen in it. So it contains type 1, 2, and 3 collagen. So uh, it supports skin, joints, hair, nails. Um, so it supports like that elastic netting for, youth, for youthful skin and it protects your tissue. So it would probably be that one if I'm honest um, because it will, it supports a lot of factors um, and I strongly think that's one of the reasons why my skin's aging quite well <laughs> uh, because I've used that product for quite a long time. It's, it's, I like it. It's one of the products that we actually sell on Holistics online um, alongside a lot of other things. But yeah, if I had to choose one, it would be that one because it's, it's got other things in it as well, like hyaluronic acid and glucosamine and various other things. So yeah, it, it would be that one. There you go. And you were actually the one who helped me figure out that I have hypermobile joints too. Uh, I was actually at one of your training uh, yes. days. Do you remember? I do. I <laughs> yeah. do. Awesome. And I had chronic knee pain for months and months and months. Couldn't figure it out. You took one look at my kind of posture and you told me I was hypermobile and needed to stop doing so much yoga and focus on strength training. And within a couple of weeks, it had completely gone. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. thank you for that. You are very welcome. <laughs> and I might need to try this supplement, so I'll have a look on that. Can you tell everyone where they can find you online and your websites, like you mentioned, Holistics Online, what they can find there and where they can get in touch with you? I have four websites <laughs> so just to make it more complicated <laughs> um, my client patient website is energizemindbody.com which is spelt with a z so it's e-n-e-r-g-i-z-e-m-i-n-d-b-o-d-y.com um, the holistics online is a bit of an eclectic mix of various things, supplements alongside support mechanisms and protection from electromagnetics and grounding and various other things. Um, and that's, that is holistics. So it's H-O-L-I-S-T-I-C-S online.com. If you want to get tested for parasites, fungi, etc., that's parasitetesting.co.uk. And if you're interested in any courses that I teach, um, and especially from a digestive point of view, we have got one coming up in London on the 15th and 16th of June. So, and I do talk a lot about bacteria um, in that course, um, bacteria in regards to the bowel and how you create an, uh, an appropriate balanced microbiome. Um, but also how you resolve digestive issues, whether it is, um, bloating whether it's increased intestinal permeability constipation diarrhea we kind of work our way from the mouth through to the anus over the two days pretty much Lovely. <laughs> yeah. so that course is called um it's um holistic approaches to a fully functional gut so that one is coming up um so yeah and the courses if you do if you are interested in the courses that's integrativehealth.co.uk so I N T E G A sorry G R A T I V E H E A L T H dot co dot uk. So integrativehealth.co.uk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And are the courses open to the general public or is it just practitioners? Um I can teach at multi-levels when I teach. So if somebody's got a firm interest in their health and well-being, so if they've got a firm interest in digestion, 
they will be fine to come along. There'll be certain things that they might get a little lost on, but in general, as I say, I, can, I, I teach by layering information. Um, so it's, it's easy to absorb that information over the period of time. Um, so yes, courses are open to the general public, but generally there's a lot of, I put a lot of extra information in for practitioners. Um, so I'll, you know, utilize case studies and, um, I just put, as you probably are aware, I just put in a lot more information. Um, yeah. Your courses you, are amazing. Yeah. Definitely yeah. recommend. Yeah. People might get a, a well would get a lot out of is Je destination well-being which is a three-day course um and it is a lot of information but that's that's kind of my approach to creating health and well-being so it's all it's all that the baseline stuff understanding the stress mechanisms understanding sleep understanding the gly the glymphatic responses blood sugar management, mitochondrial management, um, digestion, um, me time, stress, um, positive psychology. So there's a lot of information in that course, but that's the one that across the board from practitioners to members of the general public have said it's the best thing they've ever done because it gives them an overarching understanding of a lot of different systems in the body. And we get, in any course that, I teach, I give a lot of tools because I want people to be able to apply what they've learned immediately. So there's a lot of support tools and mechanisms of how to put things into place. Um, so that, that might be of interest to people. Um, I don't know how, you know, yeah. check it out. Information's on the website. That one sounds like pretty much everything you need to know about being optimally healthy. <laughs> Yeah, and yeah. it's, it's not, and a lot of practice. There's a lot of information in there because it's kind of twenty odd years of my what I've learned and what I found that works and doesn't work, which is in that course. So you know, both practitioners and the members of the general public have said they've you know they've got so much out of it. Um, so hopefully, <laughs> if anybody is interested, um, they will learn a lot too. Yeah, and there's some listeners as well from the US and other places in Europe. So you teach your courses in America too, so they can head on over to the website and find out when you're next in yeah. a, a state near them. Exactly. Yeah, the next time I come across in the States is June, um, where I'm teaching actually the, the uh, holistic approaches to a fully functional gut and tells of disease. Um, but we're waiting on, on confirmation that we need a few more people to sign up. So if you're interested, sign up quick <laughs> so that it'll uh, go ahead. Yeah. And I'll include all of the links to your website in the show notes as well for anyone who um, wants to get in touch and find out more about you. I want to thank you so much, Emma, for your time. You're just a wealth of knowledge. I love everything that you do. And like I mentioned, your approach to the mind body aspect as well. And I'd love to have you back on the future to talk more about that side too. The physical tells of disease that you speak about, the energetics the ems those types of things so that would be a whole nother podcast i didn't really want to dive into it but i know that that's a big passion of yours as well yeah happy to um come back on if you'll have me yes and thank you very much for the nice comments appreciate that um so yeah it's uh, you know i just want to my ethos if you like my purpose is to be able to help people um create the optimal health and well-being and happiness in the life that they can 
Um, so by getting information out there, you know, things such as podcasts, etc., I think is extremely helpful for people because it gives them bite-sized pieces of information um, so they can actually help themselves. Which exactly. Is- and I want people to get the information from reputable sources and experts in the field rather than reading a magazine or a blog and listening to someone on Instagram talking about their approach. I'd rather them have an expert who's worked in this field for several decades and knows what they're talking about. So thank you so much, Emma, for your time. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Hormones in Harmony podcast. If you like this episode, please leave me a rating and review as this helps to spread the word to other women dealing with hormone imbalances. As a massive thank you gift, I'll send you a free guide, Six Steps to Hormonal Harmony. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review, then email it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com and I'll send you the link to download this free guide. If you haven't already, check out my website vivanaturalhealth.co.uk and Instagram page at vivanaturalhealth for tons more free content and inspiration. You can also schedule a free 30-minute hormone troubleshooting call to find out the next steps to take in order to overcome your symptoms naturally. See you back here next week for another episode.